is Jesus giving a penetrating analysis on, he really had to use that during masculinity. I know. <laughs> <laughs> he really had to use the word penetrating. <laughs> Um, episode 139 of Pub Theology Live, a weekly conversation on life and faith over a craft brewed pint, fine wine, or whatever happens to be in your glass. Catch new episodes weekly as the Reverend Shannon Meacham, Ogan Holder, and a special guest address and engage what's happening through a theological lens, usually with a good brew in hand. Today, we welcome the Reverend Leighton Williams back to the show. Leighton is a writer, a PCUSA minister, and spends her precious free time with her cat, Gryffindor, mm-hmm. contemplating the meaning of life while listening to the Avett Brothers. That's true. I totally wrote that line for you. You're welcome. This is dead on. <laughs> <laughs> she is currently based in Charleston, South Carolina, and serves at Sunrise Church on Sullivan's Island, and is the communication specialist newly um, ordained. For next church. Ordained. Oh, not newly ordained. I, I don't think we are. Like, <laughs> ordained. Like newly crowned. The newly crowned communications <laughs> for next church. She is also the author of Holy Disunity How What Separates Us Can Save Us on bookshelves now, literally at Barnes and Noble. There is proof. It's Welcome, Layton. Thanks. Happy to be back. So you know how last week we talked about how you should you, this new bit for you, Shannon, was writing a new bio for for, for Derek every time. I think you should do it for everybody now because we can have reoccurring guests, and you know. So I'm I'm supposed to come up with a new line every time. Yeah. Well, I mean, sure. Why not? Why not? I think you should. So, uh, listeners, you can show your love for Pub Theology Live by becoming a supporter on Patreon. You can start at the shot glass level, just a mere $2 a month. You can't even buy a cup of coffee for 2 bucks anymore. 2 bucks a month. Sign up at uh, other levels, too. There's a pint level, a growler level. Keep the show rolling. Get yourself some swag. We promise we'll get the swag together coming soon. And you have access to extended interviews with special guests like the one and only Layton. We have a nice long interview with her on there as well. And no matter what level you're at, you will get access to video of our pre- and post-show conversations. We have whole other discussions that happened before and after the show. Last week, it was about it was about health and weight loss and fat shaming. And today it was about, tangential subject. Today was about an Amazon. It's like we're doing two shows right. almost at this point. <laughs> Three if you count different conversations at either end. But... Starting at two bucks a month, you get to listen in on these as well. Visit patreon.com slash ptlive to get started. Big thank you to our current patrons. And also, on the social media like Twitter, Facebook, IG, you can see clips from the show. You can join in our conversation with some posts. Use the hashtag ptlive. Today, we are discussing uh, costumes, masculinity, and textual development. I don't know what to do with any of those words right now. So, <laughs> what the hell does textual talk? development mean? I don't. I, uh, yeah, development talk. of text. D- textual. 
reading things okay, in all context, right. like development of how you read. Okay, well, let's talk about what we're drinking because we're going to need to drink through this. <laughs> yes, we are. Layton, what are you drinking today? Um, today, I am drinking a Ballast Point uh, Grapefruit mm -hmm. Sculpin IPA. Uh, this is arguably my favorite beer, but it's um, usually pretty expensive. So I took advantage of a time when my dad came to hang out and let him buy me a six pack. And this is the last one I have. Hmm. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. Uh, what are you drinking? Well, th I was going to say, speaking of dads buying stuff for their daughters, that was me this past weekend. I went to visit Joy, uh, parents weekend in Columbia College, Chicago. And there was a lot of food buying, a lot yeah. of food buying. So I'm I'm on my quest to discover a good taste in light beer. Um, All right. So far, so far, the front runner is uh, Corona Premier. Ooh, what the heck was that? Corona Premier. And but um, right now, I'm trying something called from Night Shift Brewing. It's called Night Light. Hmm. L I T E Night Light. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm a fan of that marketing, but sounds kind of cheesy. <laughs> but it is a craft light cider. I don't know what the calorie count is because it's oh, here it is, 120 carbs. Oh, calories and only eight carbs. I was like, so many carbs. That's <laughs> that's that's that's, that's, that's the yeast roll level. No. <laughs> eight eight carbs. 120 right. calories. Eight carbs. Not necessarily yeah, lighter one, than most beers. I once but, went mm. on a quest to find a good light beer, and I could not find it. I'll be honest. So we'll see how the slagger So I um, have a budget meeting right after this, and um, so I am drinking a delicious Sonic Cherry Limeade Slush. And if you yeah, haven't right. had this, oh my gosh, you have to. It's delicious. Angle I get sober standing today. This looks like a glass of urine. That is light beer. <laughs> yeah. That looks Seriously. like mellow yellow. Seriously. You really want your beer to look like like dehydrated urine, not like right. like like this is this is a beer. Right. And that's a beer. You know what it tastes like? It it tastes a little bit like Heineken. You know Heineken Heineken tastes? Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. It's like it's like they took Heineken and they dial it back in intensity of scooch. So yeah. it's not horrible. But it's not great. All right. Well, there we it's go. Light beer. It's, Your it's light expectations beer. must be very low. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're even so, lower now. <laughs> when, speaking of low expectations, when was the last time you trick or treated? Uh, I mean, I, I'm going to say like as a as a trick or treater, right? Because I trick or treat every year with my kids. Oh. Like, but as a trick or treater. Let's put it that way. Wait, you weren't a treater. You weren't doing it when you were with your kids. I'm confused. What you mean? Well, I was taking them around. I wasn't walking up to the doors and asking for candy. and like getting your own candy. Yeah, I was oh, taking I, their candy. I did that every time I went with Joy. What are you talking about? <laughs> till she was. Till she. I think the last time this happened, she was about twelve. And, and she's. You, and she's you, like, no. dre you dressed up with your own bag. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I went and I went with her. Walk, you know, walk her out to the door. Even when she was, you know, from whenever we started doing this, I'll go and I'll, I'll hold my bag out too. Next level. That's oh my gosh! And then no. and then we'd get home and we'd get home and then what we'd do is we would, we would go through her candy, and and kind of say you can't have all the sugar all at once. So we'd portion it out, mm -hmm. and then I'd sneak. 
the Skittles and the Twix from yeah. the the part that was supposed to be portioned out for her because like two months later she's not gonna remember everything she right. has. No, no. And one year, and one year, she she decided to hoard and hide candy before the distribution thing, and she forgot about it. And oh. a couple months later, massive ant trail no. up into her bed because she stuffed it under her mattress. The joys of parenting. Oh, oh god! I think I I think the last time I actually legit trick or treated, this is a little awkward, but I think I was like fifteen. We had this neighborhood where I grew up that like the whole neighborhood shut down on Halloween, and every house like went overboard with the decorations and it was just basically like a giant block party and so um my friend who lived in that neighborhood would have a big party every year and we would dress up just like we always had and like go around in these like gaggle of teenagers but we weren't the like you know egging and toilet papering houses kind of teenagers we were just the like unwilling to relinquish our youthful innocence kind (laughs) um I do think that now my favorite thing about um, having moved back close to family and being on like full-time aunt duty is that I do get to do the, the parental thing now where I go over to my brother and sister-in-law's neighborhood and like the parents in that neighborhood just walk around with those like um, Yeti cups mm-hmm. uh, full of alcohol. That's <laughs> what we do. Yeah. Yeah. And then you go to different houses and they'll like, re- like top you off and stuff. And it's like, oh, so we have this neighbor across the street and a couple down that, um, in the front yard, they always have this fire pit and they, the, the woman and then the next door woman sit with bowls of candy for the kids. So the kids run up to them and the men are in the garage (laughs) and he's got a full size refrigerator in the garage. Right. And you get a beer and a shot in the garage. And we are like parenting goals, right? Like this is my future. This is exactly who I want to be (laughs) when I grow up and I'm not taking the kids around. Um, but we, I can't, like, I'm just, I'm, I can't get over Ogan that you would go up in your own bag of candy. Like, but, but he had like the airline, the airline size bottles. Mm-hmm. Like he'd go to the liquor store and just pile up on those. And when the adults came around, he'd, he'd slip one of those into the, into the parents bag. There you go. Hmm. That's what you gotta do. It. See, humanity's not lost. We still look yeah. out for one another. All right. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, I was I was actually 18. Like I was older. I was older. I was 18. It was my senior year of high school. We totally went trick or treating, 100. percent Like totally uh-huh. happened. Own it with pride. Yeah, whatever. I'm, I'm trying to think. You know what? We we dressed up in the costumes that we used for because we were all in the musicals, um, and we did Camelot the year before. So we dressed up as oh. all the characters from Camelot with the big pointy like. Double, uh-huh. d- double dipping. Right? Exactly. Smart. So if you were going trick-or-treating this year, which maybe you are, if you were going this year, what would you dress up as? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. I am. Um, I am. I mean, I'm going around with my uh, niece and nephew. Uh, at least that's my plan right now. Uh, I guess I should tell my brother. But um, and so I do. I do have a costume in the works. Um, I decided not. I, I have to say, I normally get very into the costumes. And um, since I'm not going to any parties or anything this year, I decided not. I wasn't allowed to spend like an egregious amount of money. Um, and I also just went blonde with my hair and so I knew I wanted to do a costume that would like take advantage of that um so I ended up deciding to go as Captain Marvel nice but Captain Marvel when she first 
falls through the blockbuster and then she's with fury and so she's in the like um leather jacket and the nine inch nails shirt and the the shredded jeans and um combat boots and the the shield hat which uh coincidentally a friend gave me for my birthday so i already had that part had the leather jacket had uh the combat boots so i ordered a nine inch nail shirt and a pair of aviators and i am like good to go Nice, nice, nice. We are, um, so we went on a Disney cruise this summer, right? And so um, on the Disney cruise, they have pirate night. And um, my sister had sent us some outfits that they had used when they did pirate night. But um, the boys needed outfits and Derek got an outfit and, you know, I kind of cobbled together some things. So the deal was, is that we got to buy all that if everybody was pirate, were were pirates for Halloween, right? That's how we justified spending the money. So everybody's a pirate. Everybody's going as a pirate. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. How do the kids feel about that? Are they? Um, Well, Gus keeps trying to make it like very like, I want to be a werewolf pirate or I want to be a (laughs) zombie pirate. Like he's like, (laughs) mama being a pirate, but he's like, I want to. He, you know, he still wants his like great ideas for Halloween to come out in his. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> then you would wear my stole and go as a minister, um, especially for the houses that give away all the liquor. I think that'd be fun <laughs> for them. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. No, Thanks. Uh, uh, so. My niece but, last year went as um, like Harry Potter, but not. I guess one of the like other kids in the Gryffindor, you know, because she had the. She had the scarf and she had the big robe on and um, so she went to somebody's house and they were like, oh, are you a minister? And she was like, no. <laughs> Way cooler than that. <laughs> right, exactly. I, I, like, I, don't, I think she was trying to be Hermione or something, you know, like if she was like, it's ridiculous. How dare you? I mean, I, I do feel like Harry Potter every time that I robe up. So, you know. I won't pray for you, but I will curse you. <laughs> See, and she's in South Georgia, so I was like, no, that's good. That's good. Yay. Like, you know. <laughs> there you go. Anyway, whatever. But, all right. So, dis- discuss the following quotes from John Elridge's book, Wild at Heart, Discovering the Secret of a Man's Soul. I think this is the, um, the masculinity part of our discussion. <laughs> I think Brian's still working through some stuff, man. Seriously. <laughs> I, I really wonder about him sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe this is maybe this is speaking to why he underlying why he's making the choice to run for congress maybe i mean i mean listen read, read the quote read the quote uh, it makes here's sense the quote. Yeah. Like, deep in his heart every man longs for a battle to fight an adventure to live and a beauty to rescue so the man on the show i thoroughly disagree with all that do you Maybe it, maybe at a time when I was younger in my twenties, I felt very gung ho about this. As a forty-five-year-old, I'm looking for a couch and an ottoman to put my feet upon. <laughs> I'm looking for peace and calm in my life. Mm-hmm. And it's about the beauty to rescue. No, I, 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 I want to be taken care of. I, I. <laughs> you want? To I want. I want. I want a sugar mama. <laughs> you are totally fine with being rescued. I am totally fine with being. The rescuee, not the rescuer. Uh, you know, I'm I'm on the whole other side of this right now, so I find it interesting. Yeah. I am um, 
by contrast, I have to say, as a 33-year-old woman, deep in my heart, I do want all of these things. A battle to fight, an adventure to live, and a hot woman. <laughs> there you go. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe I was um, misprogrammed. I don't know what uh, John Eldridge would say about me. You know, I was thinking about this of like, I think every younger person wants some of these things, right? Like, mm-hmm. or, or a combination of them. And maybe that's all of our programmings, but like a battle to fight to me isn't like knighthood thing, right? It's a cause. Like we all want a cause and a purpose. Yes. A battle to fight and adventure to live, a cause and a purpose. Um, the beauty to rescue is, is way more programmy, right? Like mm-hmm. um, that's, I think we all want love and someone, I, you know, I think about those moments, let's just go movie for a second or even Disney movie for a second of like when the, when the damsel gets rescued the look in their eyes right Mm -hmm. like the the appreciation and the wanting and i think i'm going i'm thinking i'm giving way too much generosity to this person in this quote but (laughs) well i think guys want to be the hero they want to be the guy who you know we want to fix it and we we you know we're not climbing a tower and fighting a dragon but you know we might be you know fixing the plumbing we might be doing something a lot more quote-unquote mundane but i have never had a man who could do that by the way ever (laughs) i mean that's why it's deep in his heart that's why deep deep. (laughs) but in other ways he's been a hero for you in other right and i think that's that's the sentiment i think i love that look right now this (laughs) that's that's making the video clip for the week right there (laughs) you know what he loves me I, all the way to the liquor time, store. Time check. <laughs> right. There, there you go. See, so I think we, we want to be the hero. So now my question is, I'd like to ask you, the, the ladies on the show, do you all feel like you want to be rescued? Because it, I think it's a disconnect if, if we men are trying to be heroes and rescuers and we feel that's a deep longing in our soul, but, but on the other side, you know, women are, or partners, they don't, they don't want to be rescued. That's, that's a disconnect right there. Do y'all want to be rescued? Do you want to be rescued? Um, you know, I have to say, I I have done a lot of work on this because I think, um, like, growing up with, you know, my head deep in books, especially, like, fantasy books and stuff, I got a lot of this programming, too, that, like, as a woman, um, that's, that's what I'm looking for is somebody to come sweep me off my feet, like, take me away to a better life, whatever, whatever. Um, and I think I did like buy into that for a long time. Um, and really only as an adult was like, no, that's not, I want to, I mean, I would love to have a partner and I want that partner to, I want it to be a partnership, right? I want us to like uplift each other. But I, I think rescuing um, turns south really quickly uh, in relationships, no matter what the gender dynamics are. Um, so, yeah. yeah. It has a real victim connotation almost. It does have, and that's exactly what I was going to say. Like, first off, I'm nobody's victim, right? So rescue gets really loaded there. But I, but, but uh, let's be fair for a minute. I think I did look for that. um, And that was part of my first marriage was um, not so much rescue because I was someone's victim. Although, you know, there's an argument there too, but like, take me away from this that I, this that I know and take me somewhere else, right? Let's create a new family. Let's create a new way of living. Let's get out of this cycle and go to that one. And, um, you know, my sister and I actually talk about this a lot of, of, um, 
marrying into families that were normal and mm. <laughs> looked whole and, you know, all like very much wanting that out of our partnerships um, that weren't exactly for me, wasn't exactly a partnership, um, had some good parts to it and had some bad parts to it. But, but I think I did want to be rescued from my current life. But it wasn't so much I was looking for him as much as like I was making a choice to move away from that. Um, but I was, it was, it was, it was that running away, like rescue me so I can run away from here, you know, kind of, I don't know if any of that makes sense. Yeah. That that was your escape. You needed, you needed a good reason to escape and, and, um, maybe escaping was scary. So better to have someone to do it with. So, well, and you know, I I was married at 23, right? Like get, get me, yeah. Out of here. And I had yeah. and I at twenty four. We had no business getting married in our early twenties. What the hell were we thinking? I, <laughs> no business. Are, you know, I think I mean I think I grew up like I I didn't necessarily have a life that I wanted to escape from in terms of like family or, or geography or any of that, but I do think that I bought I mean, gosh, I, I have just like my whole life been such a hopeless romantic that I think I like bought heavily into the idea that I needed to be rescued from loneliness. Mm-hmm. Um, and also this, this is my um, Enneagram four peeking out, but this idea of like the person who was going to make me finally feel understood and known and loved as I am. Right. Like that has been a really hard one to like grow up and get over this idea that there's like a person who's magically going to like, heal that wound (laughs) you know what i mean Um, but that yeah the pull for that growing up definitely was very very strong and at least in terms of the loneliness thing i was definitely taught that as a woman i needed that i needed a guy to come in and like save from a life of spinsterhood or something (laughs) the next quote because what i have to say has to do with a little bit of this wait before you go i was going to say since you bought the enneagram as a nine on the enneagram the last thing i want is a battle to fight i'm trying to avoid conflict at all costs (laughs) that's that's fair there you go okay all right so here's another quote from that book um i wasn't mean i wasn't evil i was nice and let me tell you a hesitant man is the last thing in the world a woman needs god i love it when tell me what women need um she needs a lover and a warrior not a really nice guy it's like something for you guys to thought and i'm not no i'm not touching it I'm not going there okay so first off what i exactly what i need is a really nice guy <laughs> like i think you know okay so if he's using nice as passionless right then mm-hmm. okay fine right like i but I don't think being nice means passionless. Right. Um, kindness and passion go hand in hand, in my opinion. Um, so, so let me. I I want to jump in here, and give a little like a um, backstory to all these all these like masculinity driven 
books like John Eldridge and, and stuff like that. It's, it's the idea, it, it backs up to the idea that we as a human race slash society, we really don't have rites of passage rituals anymore like we used to, you know, hundreds and thousands of years ago to mark entry into manhood or womanhood. Like, like one of the closest things we have now, it is maybe in the Jewish community with bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs. But again, that's not, you know, putting the young person out in the world to make their way it's just honoring kind of like a you know crossing over so so a lot of the premises because we don't have these rituals or we don't have these like you know hey 12 year old 13 year old boy take a spear and run out in the forest and if you survive the bear and the saber-toothed tiger you are now a man sort of deal um apparently men over generations and generations have become less you know quote-unquote masculine and this is apparently part of the downfall of the world. So, so a lot of these books, and yeah, and and they do serve a purpose. I I spent some time with uh with uh crap. I hate it when I was about to say a thing and I don't remember now. Um, one of the men's organizations that you know you, you do you do the weekend where you dance naked around the campfire and all that kind of stuff, and then you you, you get really. You know, you find yourself mm-hmm. apparently, um, and it was. Did you find it, yourself? Were you um, lost? Um, I discovered that I was lost. It, I'm still finding myself. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. I thought I, I thought I knew I was. Turn, turns out I I didn't, and it was it was a really difficult time in my marriage at the time, and we went to counseling, and like you know, in the session, the woman's like, she says to me, so let me get this straight. You've basically been mostly raised by women. You've got women as your role models and you live in a house with wife and a daughter and, and you've been in professions that are dominated by women. Like, you know, you can't answer the question who are the men in your life that you admire and gravitate to. She goes, you need to go find your manhood, you know? And, mm-hmm. it, and it was a woman who said this, uh, yeah. you know? And so, so there, and there's, I think that's fair. Yeah. Right, but it was less about manhood as it was uh, is about self selfhood. Yes. I had to go find my selfhood. Right. Um, so, so I think that's that's kind of where this comes from. But then, my issue with it now, again, twenty years older, is that it so much drifts into almost this like this um, like male ego domineering sort of you know almost misogynistic sort of adjacent. You know, she needs a lover and a warrior. Like, she just needs, you know, what is that code for? Someone who's confident in who they are? Then just say that. (laughs) Well, right. Like, so this, I mean, this is a very broad, sweeping, like, this is what a woman needs and this is what she doesn't need. This reminds me of when we were um, looking for houses to buy. We you know, we would give, we gave him, we emailed a list of things we were looking for. Right. And he walks into the house and he's like, well, here's the kitchen and there are the bathrooms. Cause that's what women want to see. And here's the garage and here, you know, whatever. Cause that's what men want to see. And I was like, actually the garage is for me. Thank you. Yeah. I'll go look at that right now. You know? Well, um, sorry. Go ahead. No, good. I was just going to say, I mean, I'm of a couple of different minds about this quote, but I will say the very first thing I thought when I read this was um, the, this, how do I want to put this? Like, I feel like there are so many guys who, and I have observed this throughout my life, who um, feel like they're the nice guy who always gets passed over by women in favor of like the strong man 
and whatever. The man like, is going to hurt him in those, a lot of ways, right? Yeah, except that I think that a lot of times the so-called nice guy, like these are guys that sit around on their couches talking to each other about how terrible women are because they won't date them. And I like, I want to expose the lie of like who thinks they're a nice guy versus who actually is a nice guy. Because like, I don't want that kind of nice guy, not the kind that sits around feeling like women have wronged him. Um, so no, no incels for you. Is that what you're saying? Right, exactly. <laughs> and it's like, but I will, I will say that um, I have only recently in my life realized the value of like a, a um, kind and maybe a little bit boring of a person stable <laughs> versus like the wild, like bad boy or bad girl, like adventure. Right. Um, Cause I, 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 yeah, I think we are taught to like crave those things. And I think there's a lot of value in uh, stability. Um, but there are a lot of different ideas wrapped up in this quote. Like I say that and I mean it, but I also am not super fond of people who are overly hesitant. Like I, I think you could parse those things. Like that's in the quote, but I think that's a different, yeah. a different thing. I mean, yeah, I there, don't know. There is still, at least, you know, in my perception, there is still the idea that men need to be strong and um strong strong in in character or physicality when you say strong I think, what do you I, mean? actually i think uh, that both i think there's there's a, a there's a need there's a want for both in still in this very stereotypical um and and again we're talking very woman and man here which you know to recognize that there's <laughs> There's so how a much, lot in between there too. Yeah. So how much of that is just is is a hold over from from anthropology? So so you know well, you need, it, you need these strong is, men to fight off the tigers and the bears. I how much think of that part is, of it is, is in the women programming. Women or or girls even as they're raised are taught their weakness, mm-hmm. and so you know they're. I think getting to the point of like, there's a physical strength that is desired because that we feel weak in some way. Um, And statistically, most of us have been physically hurt in some way or another. Right. Um, But we, we, so we crave that. I want you to be able to step in for me and fight a battle for me, if you will. And that battle mostly looks like, Hey, my coworker sexually harassed me, you know, today. And, and so that, I think there still is very much that desire, but what gets lost in there is, um, and, and I agree, like there's so much going on in this quote, hesitancy and nice aren't necessarily the same things as kindness. Right. Um, but we, we are also craving, um, we expect this, this, um, strong emotionally, but also expect vulnerability from men. And that is counter to what the world expects of them. Yeah, no pressure. Right? Um, and so there, there is this whole combination of what, what masculinity is supposed to look like. Um, and honestly, Ogan, you know, raising, helping to raise two boys. That's a big question. They're nine years old. Like I don't, and and one has a very clear understanding of what a boy means. And the other one pretty much has no understanding of what (laughs) a boy means. And I'm fine. I'm fine with it. And I actually prefer the one that, I mean, I don't prefer them as a child and (laughs) get into that, but like, 
Okay, I have every every parent has preferences. No. Don't don't no, don't, don't no, deny don't. it. Derek, you can edit that. Yes, out, honey. they do. <laughs> listen, do they will love your kids. Not gonna listen to this. We no, love no, you. No, love your no, kids, but you have to say this again. You, you love them all. You love them all, but you have so, preferences. So Thomas very much has, um, and partially because of the way he's raised with his other, you know, parents is is he has a very clear like this is what boys do, right? Like he wanted to paint his nails once, and that was not allowed any, you know, at his other house. So, so um, when you say so when you say what a boy is, you're talking about stereotypes. I'm talking about stereotypes, okay. right? Just want to be sure. And yet, he is genuinely has a great love of sports and football, sure. and very physically active, and you know, very quote unquote boy in that way. But as as you talk about um, as you talk about masculinity, and we talk about how these these ideas were formed at such a young age, you know. We use a lot of war language with children and particularly boys, right? We give them swords to play with. Like we give them, I mean, we don't allow toy guns in our house, but you know, we, we give them this kind of very physically active play. So it's no wonder to me that in these masculine quotes, they're using warrior language and rescuing language and, you know, all of these kinds of things because we whether or not we use those words we teach them that from from small children and and we we also can teach our girls that i i mean my daughter grew up loving sports um and and loving movement really for many years it was both it was both soccer and dance and at some point we told her you need to choose one because your mother and i we don't have the, we don't have the energy to keep driving you to both things. <laughs> like, like we are so tired right now, and you're tired. Like, just please, just pick one, whichever one you want to pick. We'll support you. She she grew up being, you know, with my geeky influence, right. and she also grew up with the mother's influence. But she gravitated towards love of sci-fi and Star Wars and comic books and stuff like that. You know, when people have said to me, well, you have a daughter or did you ever want a son or feel like you were lacking quote unquote as a man? Cause you didn't have a son. I was like, uh, my, my kid wants to go with me open a night of Marvel movies and star Wars movies. I'm, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know? So I, so to move to the next, cause we're, we're already kind of getting there. Why is unhealthy masculinity often present in the church? Because they believe all those crappy quotes we just read. I'm sorry. <laughs> because it's prevalent everywhere. Um, and what does, has, ha, what does healthy masculinity look like? How do men move towards this? Um, I mean, I, the presence in the church is the church has, I w- I'm going to just say, been one of the main instigators of toxic masculinity. I blame Paul. I mean, it really. Uh, but it goes Old Testament too, right? Yeah. Like this, yeah. Um, yeah. Patriarchy. Well, it's our, you know, our traditional and not just within the church, but absolutely um, within the church as well. Our traditional um, conception of power is hierarchical and strength focused and um, carries a lot of, I mean, carries um, toxic masculinity in its bloodstream. Right. And so like that has informed the structure of our churches for millennia. And, and then, I mean, like, like 
intangibly the structures. And then also you just like have a whole bunch of buildings with like phallic things on top of them. Like, <laughs> it's like right. physical structures too. <laughs> Listen, go to DC sometime. Look at the phallic symbol. <laughs> That's funny. No, I mean, I, I, absolutely. And this, you know, what is it, what does it look like? I think of, um, so, you know, I'm in the pulpit every Sunday, right? And Ogan, I, I think you, you would model this well, my, one of my assumptions. Now, let me just say that I don't think any of these examples are the only way of what <laughs> healthy masculinity looks like, right? But love that you assume I'm healthy. I like I like this. I like the word, I like this where this is going. Let's. <laughs> <laughs> but I I have a I I cry at every baptism, like I can't help it. Right, it just oozes right. out of me. I cry at weddings, like I'm as I'm officiating these things. Right, I'm pulling myself together as I do it. Right, I and and I I think that that is something that people go. You know, I, I sometimes often joked, I was like, this is why men, like women shouldn't be ministers, you know, and like, because I, but it, it's a positive thing, right? It's moving, yeah. it's beautiful, it's wonderful. Um, but in sermons, when something is hard or when, you know, I'm not exactly completely being vulnerable, but I'm talking about something really hard, yeah. I cry about it mm -hmm. publicly. Um, but I think that there is, there's, it, that's actually more okay for me. You know, mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't, like, Ogan, I can see, like, no, you've been a crier. It, <laughs> oh, I am, I am such a crier. Are you, yeah. are you, are you kidding me? <laughs> I, I was, I was channel surfing the other day and, um, and I stopped, I stopped at Dr. Phil. Now, you gotta understand, I was a big Dr. Phil fan when he showed up at Oprah once a week. It right. all went downhill when he got his own show. Oh my gosh, it was and, so downhill. But, but the episode, right, was this woman, this this elderly woman. She had got to be in her 70s, and she had foster kids, she and her husband, and they got divorced, and the husband took the kids and so on, and she hadn't seen these kids since they were teenagers. And, you know, Dr. Phil hires his finder guy to find them, and they have a reunion on the show, and out walks these 40-something, or, you know, adults, and I am on the floor sobbing. I'm like, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, and my girlfriend, she just, she finds my, my crying. She finds it both amusing and sweet all right. at, the same, right. at the same time. But for me, when, for me, that's, that's, for me, healthy masculinity is, again, same as healthy femininity. Uh, a healthy sense of self, knowing who you are, not being ashamed of who you are, not trying to, not trying to uh, conform to stereotypes. Men or boys shouldn't cry. Mm -hmm. You know, if you are emotionally touched and moved, you show that. That's that's healthy. That's who you are. Um, and so that's what healthy looks like to me. And I think the unhealthy masculinity. In, in churches is like we said, trying to bind to those patriarchal roles and society, society's ideas that, that we men should not be publicly vulnerable. Yeah. Well, I also think, I mean, you know, to your point earlier, Shannon, um, about, you know, Thomas's sort of like natural proclivity for like sports, et cetera. Right. It's not I, like, I'm always trying to tell people, especially where I live in the deep South, uh, right. That like when people talk about toxic masculinity, they're not saying that like 
if you are really into sports, you're engaging in toxic masculinity, right? right? Exactly. Like, it's like it's there. It's vulnerability. Yes, I think it's authenticity. Yes. I think I, I think maybe the one big thing that like is sort of tangible that I imagine um, we culturally need to move away from um, is is this sense of um, confidence rooted in dominance that yeah. I think like can carry a lot. So actually, I was going to say uh, a tie into that. Um, that is also the last time I cried while preaching a sermon uh, was yesterday I was preaching um, about the passage we're going to maybe talk about later about the persistent widow. And at the end of my sermon, I talked about um, Elliot Kipchoge. I think that's how you say it. The, um, the runner who last weekend uh, like ran a marathon in under two hours and how, um, you know, I mean, in the sermon I was talking about how it is, um, he basically did what had been impossible because he didn't do it alone. Right. And like, there's this whole thing of like, they created this whole event to see if, if he was capable and they like surrounded him with a team of people to help. Like somebody brought him Mm -hmm. water on a bike and they had a team of pacers that like ran around him and kept a pocket of air to like pull him forward. Right. And like toxic masculinity says, if you can't do a marathon in under two hours without any support, it's not worth trying. But like, healthy humanity, mm-hmm. no matter what your gender, is saying, I, I am naturally inclined to be competitive and to want to push myself to the limits. And I know that taking help and support from others will help me do that. Right? Like, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And I think, I think that's right on. Because, you know, part of what I want to say in this is like, healthy masculinity also looks like getting angry right? It, it, it doesn't, it's not just about like taking on what we would normally call female traits, right? right. It's, it's about health of a person. So when you're angry, it looks like being angry appropriately, right? Yeah. Um, Back it, to what Leighton said, authentic. Authentic. authentic yeah. Authenticity. Absolutely. So let's jump down to that. Um, Luke 18, Jesus tells a parable about a widow. Who wait, hang on, hang on. Before Wait, I, I want to interrupt. I want to interrupt to to share to share from Twitter. Uh, um, oh you, yeah, because uh, you, you posted what the question: What does healthy masculinity look like? Uh, Brandon replied, "I love this. What even is masculinity? Is it a real thing? <laughs> <laughs> Why not just empathetic, healthy humanity for everyone?" Mm-hmm. Thank you, Brandon. Brandon, awesome. That yeah. that yes, I think that's what and we're that's getting towards. The point, right, that like, is the point. Um. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. That's the point. So in Luke 18, Jesus tells a parable about a widow who's seeking justice, but up against an unjust judge who doesn't fear God or have respect for people. Is Jesus giving a penetrating analysis on, he really had to use that during masculinity. I know. (laughs) (laughs) He really had to use the word penetrating. Is Jesus giving a penetrating analysis on injustice in their society, or is he giving a lesson on prayer, as Luke frames it? Or could it be both? I feel like that's the opening segment. I'm, I'm still on penetrating. I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you, said afterwards. Impenetrable. <laughs> oh, my God. That's a good reason to use penetrating. I mean, just, I'm sorry, really. Like... <laughs> You, there are certain totally. words to avoid when trying not to, right? um, you know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, so uh, the question, though, of the the unjust judge doesn't have respect for God, right? Right. So is this really about a toxic masculinity or hmm. just 
about prayer? I mean, I will admit that I took the prayer tack when I preached on it yesterday, um, specifically talking about the idea that like um, persistence and and uh, persistent demands of your own worthiness for justice, right, can create space for justice even in unjust spaces and in the presence of and and by the actions of an unjust person. But um, yeah, I don't know about. I think it's really interesting to like one of the one of the um, years ago there was this like book about like where all the men in church or whatever. And the idea was, is that men were moving farther and farther away from church because they got, they, they got to be powerful in church and that's no longer happening. Right. Women are having more and more leadership roles, but that, um, it was the, it was the issue of believing that there was anything higher than them, right? They were the head, they were the highest point. And so the, the, idea of God was becoming less and less appealing to men, Hmm. um, which was just fascinating to me in general, but, but the judge is unjust here because he doesn't fear God. Like that's the definition. of. Well, there's, there's that, but if you read the verse, he says, um, though I have no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so she may not wear me out by continually uh, showing up. So I damn think, woman. damn right. So I think that's a that's a total like sexist thing. Like this woman, this woman is a nuisance. Let me just give her what she wants. Right. So she stopped bothering me. So which is so, by the way the way that most uh, marriages are talked about, right? Like the joke. There's that. Is that you know women are naggy and men need to just give them say, be yes people. Right. And happy happy wife, life. happy life. Exactly. Like that, it's that. Right. So, so there's, so that's a piece of it. But yet when we read on it says, and will God not grant justice his chosen ones who cry to him day and night. So for me, it's always that sense of, it's almost like when I read it, I was like, so is he saying it doesn't matter how you get the justice the fact is that you got it. So if you need to get it by a judge who doesn't fear God and is sort of like a sexist, you know, Hey, at least you got your justice. It almost, it almost like, I feel there's this undertone of, of this, that we don't need to hold this judge accountable. The whole, you know, God's God's still, God's still going to bring justice to those who ask for it, regardless of how the justice shows up. And I kind of got a little weird issue with that. It almost is like giving the judge a pass. <laughs> well, and I, I don't love the idea of um, like justice by any means necessary as like something that God yeah. have ordained. Like I, in part because I think, granted, this is my soapbox, right? This is like what my book goes into. But this whole idea that we would trade out, like that we get to choose whether we have to honor one another's humanity or seek justice. Like actually we're obligated to do both. And so like... I don't, I don't like a story that suggests that maybe that's not true because I guess it offers a counter thesis to my book. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I just, it's, this is really interesting. Somebody, so I post these questions on Facebook and Twitter and somebody wrote, this is going back to a little bit of like, what does healthy masculinity look like? Right. Uh Um, 
he wrote, why do you ask the question, then assume the answer is that they, is that we aren't there now? Yeah. I'm, um, yeah. I'm a little skeptical, dude, because I'm pretty sure we aren't there now. And I'm pretty sure that's pretty obvious. If, if, if you got to ask the price, you can't afford it. <laughs> I'm going to, going to put that one under there. So, so I, I mean, I think that that's interesting uh, in terms of, you know, when you talk, we're, right. Like what is, what is justice and and it's like that widow going okay well i got what i wanted but how do you explain to the system that like just because the outcome was good doesn't mean that justice was served right like yeah i think that i think that's part of the problem anyway if you will i i was just gonna say yeah i think like one thing we're saying on this is um so like in my prepping to preach on this, I was wrestling with this question of like, is this really suggesting that God is in any way like this unjust judge, right? And I um, read various commentaries on it. And um, the one that I ended up going with was um, this preacher, David Lowe's or Lowe's, um, who, who points out that there's like the rhetorical, not to get too in the weeds, but like the rhetorical formula of, of that statement in this um, in this text, like where it's like, and and ha- like, and don't you think God would give justice to those, you know, who who lift up their cries to Him, actually matches an earlier um, scripture verse that talks about like, so even though you who are evil knew, know how to give good gifts to your children, if if even you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will God do give good things to those who love Him or whatever? And so it's like it's. I think it matters if, if you read this parable in that way, then it's not saying that like anything is particularly good about the unjust judge. It's saying that like God is cares for us that much more is that much more responsive. Right. So um, I don't know. I mean, I think if you take that angle, it's hard to claim that, that anything about the unjust judge is above board. Yeah. It's really, I mean, I, I agree. Like I, this is a this is used a lot during stewardship season right like um this and it goes back and forth with the widows right this one and the the widow who gave everything she had mm-hmm. um but we use this one too which is really interesting to me um but no i think you're right like i think i think that the reliance on god is kind of the point of the parable right like i mean i i love the writers right jesus told them a parable and this is what the parable's about right like yeah i mean (laughs) the reason why you went in the prayer direction is because the parable is about i mean if you were parsing these sentences like what is the thesis like (laughs) right that they should always pray and not give up so here's a little parable about that like and, and, you know, when always preaching sermons, you're like, okay, so this is a parable about how you should always pray and don't give up. Read the parable. The, amen. Right? Because, because there'll be crappy people in the world who'll still do good things. So, so if you, so if you get, if you get the thing you prayed for through a crappy person, you know, prayer works. It, it, it almost seems like this is what this is saying. It does. It does. It's, it's really interesting in the conversation. Like, on, I don't, I'm but, but then, not really sure why it's here. But then the... <laughs> But then the other pieces about, uh, you know, then there's a whole thing about 
about the timeline of it, you know, um, you know, th- so this woman had to go through a lot of begging of the judge, but apparently, you know, when the son of man comes and it, he's not going to delay and it'll be quick, whatever you ask him for. So, so take heart. Uh, it's, uh, this is one of these parables that I, I don't understand. Well, let me ask this. Is, is our, is, is our view of what Jesus, the way Jesus talks about women is that tainted in any way? Is that, um, you know, do, I mean, we, I'm certainly, I certainly read Paul's discussion on women through a right. certain lens, you know? Yeah. So, so my, my thing is he, he's also a product of his time, if not a more compassionate one, you know, and we, we got my, my case studies, the the woman who came to say heal my daughter and he's the whole thing with the right. dogs and the crumbs the, at the table right. that yeah, the that whole story and we want to save jesus by saying he was testing her faith and i'm like mm, no jesus was i think being sexist and racist all at the same time because maybe he was again just being a product of his time well, and, I and think the text backs that up too. right and also he was open to being challenged and yep. changing his mind about things, which I think if there's a lesson you get out of that story, it's, it's that, you know, no one expects you to be perfect, but, but be willing to hear feedback and criticism and change your stance about things. Right. Well, and yeah. Oh, go ahead, Leighton. Uh, well, I was just going to say that um, that is typically my read on that story as well. And, and, you know, larger conversations about how much of Jesus's humanity impacted his bias and worldview. I will say that a a more orthodox friend and I um, like argued, debated about that text a couple months ago. And uh, one thing he did say that I had honestly never thought about before was if you believe that Jesus was genuinely being sexist and racist in that moment, um, then you either have to believe that Jesus was not in fact sinless, or you have to believe that sexism and racism aren't inherently sinful. And I was like, wow, I've never like, and I don't believe Jesus was perfect. I have not, I am unresolved on the question of um, <laughs> sin, but, but that, so, cause, cause the other thing is like um, a clergy colleague uh, just yesterday, maybe, or over the weekend posted, um, I had never heard this before, but apparently there are a lot of scholars that talk about how the woman at the well that encounter is like overladen with sexual imagery where he basically is like trying to get it on with her. Right. And like, I can't tell from that read whether he's being coercive or not. And it turns out that like the one line that I may not be able to cross and still call myself a follower of Jesus is if he turns out to be a creepy me too guy. Right. Like I'm like, that's a level of toxic masculinity that I just like can't, cancel out by saying he was human and divine i found, I found our episode title should we meet to jesus there you go <laughs> no <laughs> yeah i mean and, no i agree like if if that's where we're gonna come down i can't i can't do it either um and yeah but, but yeah. hey listen i uh, this is weird coming from the one guy on the show i got no problem with that i have no problem with seeing jesus again as someone in struggling with i believe his humanity and his divinity all rolled up in him all at the same time, having having needs, desires, and urges that, according to the scripture, he may not be able to fully, uh, you know, fulfill. Or if you are, or if you believe a more humanized version of him that's not 
in the scripture, maybe he did after all. Hashtag Mary Magdalene. Um, so, right. you know, why, no, I, why, why not, why not believe? Because and, repentance. And, <laughs> well, see, for me, that gives me more hope. When I, I think people view the stories that, that humanize Jesus more and more as knocking him off a pedestal. And for me, I hear these stories and it gives me hope in, in my humanity slash divinity that there's hope for me yet, because if this is Jesus and he's having these experiences where, you know, he's, he's raging out in the temple or he's being hangry and cursing the fig tree, or he's being sexist and racist, or, you know, he's flirt with the women at the well, you know, and yet he can still be this profound example of, of compassion and grace and love. Like there's hope for me, you know, cause I'm just as imperfect. But I think that, I mean, I think the difference between not to get us way off topic, but I think the difference between the woman at the well and the woman, the dog, the dog story, the crumbs under the table is that Her, Jesus. Yeah, in that story, Jesus evolves and, like, seems to grow beyond his bias. But, like, if the story of the woman at the well is read in this particular way, then, like, he's not only unrepentant for that behavior, but, like, it is literally, like, like used as an example of how to disseminate grace, right? Which is, like, right. I, that. that's the part, like... I am okay with wrestling with the question of whether Jesus had any toxic masculinity, if and only if I have reason to believe that he would be repentant about that, right? Well, but I think, I think that comes to the question of where we learn masculinity or femininity from, right? Like where we get those definitions and... And also what we're told about Jesus. Well, also what the... But, but if you just, if you just take... Yeah. You know, yes, he spends, you know, how, I think part of this is how does he know his divine nature? Like, how is he connected to that and communicating with that? You know, I mean, there's so much example of going off to pray, but but I think that there's there's a lot of this that's mimicking behavior of men around him, mimicking behavior of you know, who knows how long Joseph was really in his life or any father right. figure or whatever. But like, and so was it sinful? Yes, because he's mimicking other people's sinful behavior. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make your sin blameless. That doesn't, you know, make um, somebody who commits domestic violence blameless. But there is a pattern of behavior that you're watching that you're, you don't know anything different. Um, and as much as we talk about he came to establish a new way, that was all part of, I think, a process, a learning process in that. I don't, I don't have an answer to any of that. I just, you know, I'm looking at this um, in general and what, what do we do with any of it? Mm -hmm. But I, I think that. So, so uh, I, I think the point of this question being here, because you kind of asked that earlier, is, is tying it back to the earlier questions about healthy masculinity you know did jesus model healthy masculinity for us <laughs> that's the question i'll throw out there did jesus model health was jesus a healthy time, man for his time for his time right. his, like his embodiment of masculinity was very radical right he was yes. not um he you know i don't i don't actually have any problem if jesus had sexual urges or 
you know, what I, what, like I, if he's fully human, then that's going to be part of the experience. Right. Um, but he didn't, unless he's asexual. There's that. I mean, (laughs) sure. Okay. Yeah. And I'm, but that's possible. Um, but he didn't. I'd rather, I'd rather make Jesus not be asexual for some reason. Maybe that's just cause me. (laughs) You're you're not okay with that or you are? I rather, I rather Jesus be a man who struggled with sexual urges than a man who was asexual. And okay. and that's not about being anti-asexual. It's about again, uh, um, being I, I I would rather identify with someone who struggled with the same things I struggled with and was still able to be a decent human being. And if well, Jesus's healthy masculinity was radical for his time, let's remember the bar was really low back then. No, no, no. <laughs> the bar was super low. <laughs> but you know, we also know that he surrounded himself with female disciples and patrons and you know all of these kind of things and and even you know even paul with all of his problems like women were the ones that started these churches right women were the ones that hosted him and provided for him um in these journeys like women are lifted up over and over and over again in in all of this but he also broke that mold of not getting married right like as far as we know not not producing children like that's well, we don't. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> did you did you not did you not read uh what is it? Oh my god, Da Vinci Code. Come on. Okay, that is a book of fiction. <laughs> All fiction but, is based on some truth. I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm okay, okay, I'm done. I'm not I'm done. sure that that's really the point. Here. Okay. <laughs> but but I I mean I think that there like that there were steps of showing a new way, and this is part of um you know somebody lifted up up the other day um about you know the lectionary being one man and one woman and today's text is Laban leaving with his you know um wife and you know a marriage is between one man and one woman and her sisters and her oh, yeah. Muslims, you know right like like we've we're 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 still struggling with this issue but it's been around for a long time and and the fact that it's in scripture whether or not we know what was going on right but it's in scripture in that way i I still think Jesus was working within a construct and I can't imagine, I mean, this is the influence of the world, right? I can't imagine in those moments that there were ways where he just was tired and whatever and spoke to women inappropriately. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I love the story of the Syrophoenician woman. Cause I agree. Like he's a, he evolves through it. Cause she calls him out. Yeah. And what she calls him out on is he's like, I'm not here for you. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're an other and I am not here for you. And she's like, like, hell you're not, you know, and and he gives him that reality check of remember who you are, right? Mm-hmm. To quote the Lion King. And, yeah. and and gives him that moment because I think the world is very seductive. And I can treat you this way because everybody else does. And well, at least I'm not like that guy over there. You know, and I think that's all part of the problem and all part of the process. Well, I yeah, I think the one thing I'll say about that is, you know, I have spent a lot of time wrestling with this idea that like um, a lot of the particularly men, um, but not always, uh, that we most venerate even within justice traditions and and faith traditions um, also are like kind of scumbags in some ways, in various ways, right? Um, Yes. And and like we don't like to talk about that. And so if it turns out that, um, or if there's really reason to believe that Jesus is on that list too, I can tell you that we're not ever going to move past toxic masculinity unless we're willing to talk about that too. And like reckon with the full reality of his legacy. 
right? Just right. like with all the, you know, fill in the blanks of all the various other men throughout history. And I would, I will just, just to wrap up this, I think that it's very fair to say that whether or not, I, I mean, and, and I'd say whether, right. But whether or not Jesus, um, was sinful in the way of toxic masculinity, it certainly, he has been used to promote it in the church and in the world. Yes. I think that is completely fair to say. Yep. Um, good point. Yeah. So anyway, Thank you very much, Leighton, for being our guest today. I don't know why I'm laughing. I just feel like I'm like, oh my God, that was a whole thing. <laughs> that was a whole <laughs> thing we just did there. Whole thing. <laughs> Connect and spread the word on social media. You're even welcome to argue with us if you would like. Um, we may or may not pay attention, so go right ahead. Uh, listen anytime on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Apple, Google Podcasts. Watch us on YouTube and IGTV. Find or create a pub theology in your own town. Leighton, you've done that, right? I Where did are you that. meeting? Uh, yeah, we're having, yep, yeah, we, we are having our third meeting at Dunleavy's Pub on Sullivan's Island next week. And go by, go by Leighton's book so the next time she rolls into Barnes & Noble. Yeah, you know, South Carolina, go to her Barnes & Noble in, there you in, go. In, you know, yeah, in Charleston and buy it. So if you would like to start your own, go um, get information for that at pubtheology.com slash directory. And until next time, friends, keep those conversations flowing and possibly drink responsibly if you so choose. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. You can get us in trouble. <laughs>